Bodhisattva family reunion on these Tuesdays. <clears throat> and as um, as we always do, of course, we'll begin with uh, a few minutes of sitting. As we sit together, just a reminder 
that by your attention and gentle effort in sitting, you're making an offering You're offering your, your presence, your body and your breath, certainly to yourself and to the life around you, but also all of these people with whom you're sitting. It's a generous offer. And because over 50 people, at least on the screen, are sitting with you, there are more in the world. Our responsibility is to receive their offering. To know that our friends are sitting with us, for us, embracing us with their presence as we embrace them. but it's a unique offering and a unique receiving because we've stopped doing and becoming and creating and trying. So this offering and this receiving and simple kindness and presence is a unique and simple gift so those needing to strive for anything and yet you're asked to bring your attention and your effort fully to your sitting to both offer and receive this grace-filled gift.
And as we remember the, uh, the gift that we're offering and receiving through our sitting and the embrace, we now, with our voices, intone the, voice, uh, the verse of the robe. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching. I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. It's good to be back in this seat again with you today. I was, um, it was so lovely to uh, sit next to Lori uh, in a way as she was with us last week and inviting us to attend uh, quite intimately and profoundly with our body as we sit to remind us of the necessity for being grounded, that the foundation of our practices is our body in this world, in nature. And then she read that lovely Ch uh, Chan poem at the end, um, which ended with only the mountain remains, um, pointing towards the larger field, this uh, uh, field of benefaction, the, the uh, boundlessness in which our body is, is situated. So I appreciated her, her teachings. And her poem reminded me of some of the very famous uh, poetry from China from um, somewhere between the 6th and the 9th century. Uh, Han Shan, who lived on uh, Cold Mountain, sometimes he was called Cold Mountain, um, Listen to this one. He was, a, he was a hermit, by the way. He lived on this mountain called Cold Mountain, and he was sometimes called Cold Mountain, which is the name Hanshan. So he would write about his, his life there and practice there. He said, no matter how high you climb Cold Mountain Road, the way to Cold Mountain never ends. The long valley is stacked with boulders, its shoreline wet with lush grass, slippery moss, regardless of rain, pine trees singing, even without wind. Who can go beyond the entangled world to sit with me in the midst of white clouds? So I hope you get the, uh, the lovely imagery. What I hear, at least what resonates in me, well, because it calls to some of what Lori was talking about, this practice of intimacy, 
never ends. No matter how far you appear to have traveled in practice or think you might have, have gone. And the opportunities for penetrating the great mystery of life and death never end. He says, no matter how high you climb Cold Mountain Road, the way to Cold Mountain never ends. And of course, in our, our lives, and in, in my life, the, there are always barriers and challenges along the way. Uh, embodied ones. So many of my friends have, uh, maybe it's my age, you know, are falling ill or having struggles. But every, everything is actually manifesting as your life, despite whatever reactions we might have to the conditions. Hanshan says, the long valley is stacked with boulders. It's shoreline wet with lush grass, slippery moss, regardless of rain, pine trees singing, even without wind. Hmm. You know, your own true nature is always there, right alongside, or maybe it's the same as the obstacles. Suzuki Roshi would say, your true nature is always on your side. But to feel the slipperiness of the moss, regardless of the rain, and to hear the pine trees singing, even without the wind, requires practice, requires effort. And he asked the question at the end, who can go beyond the entangled world to sit with me in the midst of the white clouds? This is Hanshan's invitation. And this is why when you read his poetry, you're walking with him. And as you listen to Lori's instructions, you walked with her and today with me and next week with Josh and on and on, warm hand to warm hand. Who can go beyond the entangled world and sit with me in the midst of Zoom squares? <laughs> the white clouds. I was listening to a, a talk recently by Ed Satizan, who um, is one of the current co-abbots at the San Francisco Zen Center. And he was recalling uh, being a young man and uh, coming to practice. He actually... Uh, stumbled into Tassajara. He was hiking. He loved the loved nature, going on long walks like Lori does, you know, takes her group on walks in nature. And stumbled into Tassajara and was let in for some reason, <laughs> uh, even though it was uh, close at that time. <clears throat> and he said he was in such a confused state of mind, par partly because he was quite young. This was in the, the late 60s probably, or close to 1970. Um, but he found his practice at San Francisco Zen Center and a way forward. Um, and some of us kind of stumble in that way. But he said that, and I really resonate with this, he said he knew, like most of us, that life was this amazing gift. But he didn't know how to live it, not truly. And he could see that 
this sense of the, the, the mystery and the beauty and the gift of life was well beyond just, you know, doing psychological work and feeling better and being less burdened by the past. And that, that's absolutely useful. But there was something also further that spiritual practice uh, touched. It's what we feel when we sit in silence and stillness and offer ourselves to our life and to each other and receive each other in each other's lives. Because there's so much mystery to life. Like the imagery in Han Shan's poetry from Coal Mountain. And to have some connection to that mystery is one of the ways to truly bring our life fully alive. To touch the mystery in an embodied, natural way, to be able to feel the slipperiness of the moss, whether it rains or not, to know it's still there, to f hear the pine tree singing even without the wind. I, I took a walk the other day to the overlook near Kalapapa and the winds were, the trade winds were really high. Um, and going through the, uh, the, the kind of pines that are there in the windbreak, you hear a certain kind of whistling and, and the beauty and the sound is, can be quite strong. Uh, and then to walk past them onto the bluff and to feel the wind hit you so strongly. Um, but even deep in the forest, away from the bluffs, um, in, the, in the quiet, you, you can still hear it in a certain way. And through relational practice, you know, he says, who can, who can go beyond the entangled world and sit with me in the midst of white clouds? Together, he's saying, together, come sit with me so we can deeply appreciate this life and bring our life to life. Uh, there's the introduction to the chapter in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, um, entitled Single-Minded Way. So, so many of you are familiar with this little volume, and in each of the chapters, you've probably read that many times, some of you. <clears throat> and this one, Suzuki Roshi says, the purpose of my talk is not to give you some intellectual understanding, but just to express my appreciation of our Zen practice. You know, I, I feel that often. He, he goes on, he says, to be able to sit with you in Zazen is very, very unusual. Of course, whatever we do is unusual because our life itself is so unusual. A Buddhist said, to appreciate your human life is as rare as soil on your fingernails. It's such a strange image, isn't it? He goes on, he says, you know, dirt hardly ever sticks to your nail. Our human life is rare and wonderful. And when I sit, I want to remain sitting forever. Don't you sometimes feel that when we're sitting? He says, the purpose of my talk is to express my appreciation. And that is all. Our way is not to sit to acquire something is to express our true nature. That's our practice. And that's why I was calling us this morning to sit as and remembering that we're offering ourselves to this mystery and to each other and receiving it. And it's our responsibility in a way. And every form, whether it's sitting or bowing, uh, walking together and walking meditation or offering incense, 
these are all really just embodied practices to bring us into the present moment with our body, just as our body. And it's a way to express a profound gratitude for just that moment rather than our usual intoxication with the entangled world. I was really struck in his talk um, at Satisense recalled a moment with Suzuki Roshi, which he he does often, in which Suzuki Roshi said to his students, sometimes I think that you think your problems are more important than the fact that you are alive. Sometimes I think that you think your problems are more important than the fact that you are alive. That that really becomes a deep koan, doesn't it? Uh, something to live with and to remember. And there's a, a case six of the Blue Cliff Records. Some of you are familiar with these koan collections. It's not important that you know these particular things, but this particular story, what koans are, is just a public case, a story about something. And this is from Yunmen, who's one of my my favorites. I, th- I think he's also one of the favorites of Josh, who's going to be with us next week, if I remember correctly. And Yunmen <clears throat> was around the same time as some of the later Hanshan poems in the ninth uh, century. And here's the, here's the, the little story. It's only a few lines. Uh, Yunmen was the teacher at this point, and he addressed the assembly, just like I'm doing. He addressed the, the students in front of him and said, I'm not asking you about the days before the 15th of the month, but what about after the 15th? Come and give me a word about those days. And then before anybody could answer, before he called, anybody raised their hand on Zoom or came forward, he, he answered, he said, every day is a good day. So what is this every day is a good day thing? And by the way, um, <clears throat> well, you know, most of us want to explain ourselves within the context of what has been and what's happened to us. That's how we bond. We get together, we have coffee, we have a drink, we take a walk and we say, oh Lord, you should know about my family, you know, or this is what happened at work. Or, and we tell our stories and we bond over this history, these narratives. That's the 14th day or the 15th day, depending on how this is translated. That's, he says, I'm not asking you about the days, the 14th day, before you woke up. Yunmen isn't interested in the past and all the explanations and all the excuses and all the justifications about how you got to be the way you were. He wants to know about now. So what comes after, now, this moment of fullness of awakening? So we often miss this moment as our reason for being. 
we're so lost to here and what is now, how are we going to bring ourselves into the present moment? This everyday practice of Zen and uh, these kind of these kind of koans, these stories open us up to the mysterious vastness of the everyday, the good day, the eternity in each moment, the feel of the moss without the rain, the sound of the pines without the wind. So this, this kind of story becomes a koan because it invites us to explore the normal duality that we live in of a good day and a bad day, of a good experience and a bad experience, of loss and gain, blame and fame and ease and difficulty. All these do have to explore that and the way we land on one or the other. Could a bad day also be a good day? You know, during the pandemic, we're faced with well, me, my experience. Here I am at home, my lovely little home in Hawaii, looking out at the beautiful landscape, seeing the rainbows and the this and the that, but it's pretty good. I get to cook with Aaron and we take care of things and we spend time together. And the actuality of COVID, not good. Very bad things happening, people dying. So is it a good time or a bad time? The miracle of a vaccine created in record time by amazing scientists and great effort to support humanity, a very good thing. The weaponization of views around such a thing, causing unnecessary, a bad thing. Is it, is this good or bad? I think is more, how do we embrace it all? It's the embrace, the offering and the receiving, the suffering and tragedy of human life, as well as the ecstasy and the joy. The, but only by embracing it can we learn how to love and act with compassion. Only by embracing it all in some way in our own limited, stumbly ways, can we learn how to love and act with compassion? In a sense, every day that you're alive is a good one. Uh, you know, in the last years of his life, my dad would would say, "I'm, you know, I'm blessed to have another day." And and that's true. That is, but that's only one level. I think Yunman is asking more. How do we practice? with the view that every moment of every day is a good day. Most of us, if we're honest, are um, frightened to actually live our lives. And we play like we're not. And there are many wonderful things that call us forward. But you know, at three o'clock in the morning when you wake up and certain other times it, it seeps in. And my experience continues to show me, at least through practice, that even though I may not always want to do it, facing the pain is the best way through to find the good day. And a good day or a bad day, we know somewhere deep inside that being satisfied or at peace 
doesn't come from attempting to transform every day from a bad day into a good day. To try to outrun suffering, to cope really well so we're guaranteed of a good life, and to do our affirmations and only think positively, and on and on and on. Even if the day goes pretty darn well, all things considered, there's this deeper lingering feeling that haunts us. This isn't the whole story. Just because conditions go well. Because if we just try to cling to that light, it's a shaky, rickety structure if it doesn't include the reality of impermanence and death. And what is it that really satisfies us? Like this lingering feeling, a good bit of it has to do really with who travels with us. Because that reality is not going to change. Who travels us with us along the way to Cold Mountain, the way of impermanence and non-attachment? Here's one last little one from Cole Mountain. He said, from where he's sitting, there's another mountain. And he says, I see Tian Tai Peak. I see that other mountain. Solitary above the entire range. Whereas he can see the mind of awakening. He can see pines sway in the wind. Bamboo stalks rustle, the moon appears, tides flow in and out. Scanning the green slopes below, I discuss the profound principle with the white clouds. Though the feeling of the wild is in the mountains and waters, truly, I long for a companion of the way. I, I can see the peak, I, I know where I'm going. I can see the, what freedom looks like. And in the meantime, nature is all around me. Life is full and abundant. It's all that it is, both above and below. And I discuss the profound principle. In other words, I live in it. I, I let myself be intimate with it. And the feeling in the wild, like Laurie talked about, is in the mountains, in the water. It's all here. And yet, I so long for a companion. I need someone with me, fully engaged in life on the mountain, but not caught by it. Fully engaged in every moment of each day, but not caught by it. If we're able to move to the next moment, the next event, free from the entanglements of what just happened, or maybe not quite so entangled, <laughs> Each day is its own past and its own future, and it has its own value. Every day is a good day. So, companions, come forward with your questions, with your comments, with your complaints. I require you just like you might feel like you require me at times or okay there you go how's that um so i just wanted to to say that um 
you've just hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's precisely where um, I, I live in, in that uh, world a lot of the wanting the companion to travel with. And of course I have so many of them, why? <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, you pointed me in this direction. So um, <laughs> I'm trying to follow your teaching from last time. That's what I, I tend to do and then try to right. um, try to hit the same nail on the same head, you know, and maybe go a little deeper uh, with it. Yeah. You know, so is, do you have a companion or do you not? Is it a good day or is it a bad day? where you find yourself in the duality, which you yourself are knowing and laughing about, mm -hmm. of um, how, and the one who sees this and laughs about it is the larger space of holding it all. Mm. Of course, there's the, uh, the, the anguish or the longing or the vulnerability around wishing you had a particular partner to spend your life with. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, and you're um, awash in love and connection all around you at the same time. All of it's true. Mm -hmm. It's not either or. Yeah. Yeah. I recognize that. I think, and occasionally I, I see that very clearly that this longing is, well, I mean, that's what it is. It's a longing and but it's also the longing is wisdom and compassion sh showing itself. Mm. It's not a problem unless you turn it into a narrative problem based on all your history. And this is the, re you know, the, the longing is, it's, it's like uh, Rumi's love dogs poem. You know, it's the calling out to the divine. It's the, mm -hmm. you know, Ollie's whine for you is the love, you know. <laughs> but that's precisely it, you know, is not being aware at any in any particular moment of you know all these people you know why we practice yep yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. i think it's i think it's one of the reasons uh, maybe among others of course that people come to inquiry is because so many people show up and you get to be with them mm -hmm. yeah we we get to uh, immerse ourselves and uh, marinate in this goodness mm -hmm. yeah. and and everything that comes along because everybody does bring their difficulties and their struggles and their pains. That's there's a a term that I was just uh, learning about. I hadn't ever seen before, and it's um, I'm just pulling up the definition so I get it right. It's uh, in English the transliteration is Y U G E N. It's two two symbols. U Gen. And it's a concept in Japanese aesthetics. And it's um, the definition I found that's consistent is the profound, mysterious sense of the beauty of the universe and the sad beauty of human suffering. Yes. One thing. The, yeah. and, you, and if you look at only one side, you're not seeing the whole the magnificence of this and the sort of brokenheartedness, the poignancy of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that has something to do with navigating this duality that, that you're talking about. And that, that's what you see in nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there was a thought I had in all that, but I think it escaped me. But um, 
anyway, this is, I, oh, I know what it was. When you first started, you, you were saying, um, talking about being aware, being present too. And I realized um, that part of it, I was thinking of offering it and I wasn't thinking of receiving it. So there, they <laughs> That's why I mentioned both in the, in the in Zazen. <laughs> so that we offer ourselves to our sitting, but please receive the sitting and please receive the offering of everyone else. That sets up the flow. Yeah, yeah. And it's curious, anyway. So that's yeah. just an interesting thing from what you said. I'm glad you mentioned it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I think I see Darcy next, is that right? Oh, don't do that. Don't do what? Oh. Um, Just I, wanted, I wanted to get out of here, but I always you'll, you'll be you'll be taking Jessica will take care of you. Okay, I started to leave the meeting. I didn't want to do that. Yeah, but we have uh, both Jessica and Maria here, so between the two of them, it'll be taken care of. Hi, Darcy. Am I on? You are. You were on. All right. So it just, it felt like you were speaking uh, right to me. So I had to raise my hand. Right. I have, I have just finished reading this book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I have been living in it. Um, it made such a profound impact on me. And I just now looked and sure enough, on the first page, there's a quote by Hanshan, men ask the way to Cold Mountain. And Cold Mountain responds, there's no through trail. So, yes. but um, I've been living in that book. Uh, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't comment on that. But the book, um, it um, so it's a novel, it's a, right? It's a novel by Charles Frazier. And, you know, it felt like my life in some ways that there was there were descriptions of horrible, horrible things, tragedy. And then there were descriptions of nature and love, not only romance, but mm -hmm between people that and the writing was so rich that it's just been living in me for days well this is your life isn't it and it's my Those life Silver tragedies full of love yes it just felt like such a rich teaching and i've been carrying it in me and it yeah i've been trying to reconcile this You know, but it it's like it's like I'm carrying both, or I'm learning to. All of us are. I'm learning. Learning to see and hold and remain intimate with what we often flee from. And practice is the turn back. Practice is that's what practice is: turning back towards the reality of the life that we're afraid to live, because it is immense. Yeah. And sometimes there are things that grab you violently and jerk you towards it, as you well know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
thank you for expressing it so uh, wholeheartedly with us. Yeah, I don't think I expressed anything. I, I feel speechless, but I just wanted to comment how how much it spoke to me. Thank you. I, I was speaking to you. <laughs> Everybody, quite specifically. <laughs> and you, there is a, a book called The Complete Coal Mountain by Kaz Tanahashi and Peter Levitt, and they translate mm. in one place all of Hanshan's poetry is translated in one volume. Mm, wow. We, we can put that with the chat, I mean, uh, or with the uh, recording. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Thank Darcy. You. Sheila. Hey, Sheila. Okay, am I on now? You are on. Okay. Oh, wonderful, 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 wonderful. Um, every day, a good day, was the first scroll that I saw on the first 10 lessons of the Japanese tea ceremony that I had in Japan. Did you notice that I raised my teacup to you when I came on? <laughs> wow, that was the first one you saw. I had other first tea lessons, but that was the first real, it's different. Every first is different. <laughs> anyway, mm -hmm. that young man that was teaching that had AIDS and he did die while I was there. Mm -hmm. But we had our 10 lessons anyway. And then the other thing that I resonate to from what you said so much, Yugen, Y-U-G-E-N. In, in the way you described it was so perfect. I can't repeat it, but you repeat your definition of what you found? Yeah, it's the, the, the sort of profound mystery, the mysterious sense of the beauty of the universe that you can't even describe. Um, and at the same time, the sad beauty of human suffering. Exactly, exactly. It's what you experienced with that young man. Exactly, the beauty and the suffering. And what Darcy said, speechless, and you said it, you can't describe it. But the Japanese love, they apply yugen as one of their wonderful words. You know, they have wabi and sabi and all these wonderful words. And yugen, they apply especially to how they love the beauty more, well, not more, but different, of, of not not just the full moon in your face, but the full moon with the wisp of cloud right. over it. That's but what they're saying is the that beauty, beauty is because of the suffering. More beautiful. And the, there's beauty in the suffering. It's, exactly. They're not two things. And they're not more or better, but it's, but it's to appreciate that beauty of the moon with the cloud. Yeah. A little bit in it. And also another part, I've been doing what I call cloud, th cloud therapy or cloud meditation with the clouds outside my big, big window mm -hmm. up over the courtyard that I really rented this room in assisted living for because of the windows mm -hmm. <laughs> and the fountain. But the clouds, 
Yeah, you're um, discussing it with the white clouds. They look, like, they look like an entity, but as a physicist, chemist, I know they're little atoms and molecules and photons and energy waves that are not just like there, us. That are not there till we're there in the quantum sense, and so Hanchan is waiting and inviting, and the moss, the green moss, and the boulders. Slippery moss and the boulders are on that long way and it never ends. And I'm looking, I wish, I mean, I long for a companion too, but I have such a companion and all that is. Thank you. What does, um, am I saying it right if I say, there's another term, osakene? Osakine, before you go before me, you before me. That's right. So there's a there's a, a story that you reminded me of. Um, is that one of my dear Dharma brothers who had AIDS uh, was also with uh, studying tea with with Blanche, my teacher. And she said the last time she went to see him, knowing he would die, and she, he knew. She went into the room and the first thing he said was, uh, Osakene, saying, in a way, I apologize for going before you. Isn't that amazing? Thank you. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you very much. Osakene. Hi, Flint. Um, as, as some folks may know, our community actually for some, some time has been moving forward, uh, trying to align ourselves with anti-racism and all of that involves. And in the last several weeks, I have found myself, I appreciate you and Darcy speaking, I have found myself grabbed so violently by life. Um, I think I've been grabbed violently by life before, but I didn't pay any attention. Uh, and this time I am paying attention and um, sometimes it's very hard not to just be totally in the violent grab. Um, or our reactions to the grab. Yeah, yes, and the reactions are so archaic and strong. Uh, I have a hard time separating myself from just feeling really bad, <laughs> just really bad about what I, what it is, what I am, and what I am in relation to it. Um, so I appreciate it. Actually, I just come to say I appreciate the words being grabbed violently by life, just having those be lifted up so that I can go, oh, yes, that's what's happened here. And it is part of a larger landscape that I may or may not be able to see so well. Um, so I guess I'm coming today to say thank you to this entire group for being here and to Darcy 
uh, in particular for invoking the words that you spoke. Uh, yeah, there are, there are moments of that, that grabbing, and that's, of course, what we were practicing for, isn't it? You know how to navigate that kind of territory. Well, I'm hoping to find that wisdom. It's in you. Let it blossom. Thank you. I will do my best. Thank you. Sorry, I'm having mute trouble. Joan will be next. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Joan. Um, I was in a conversation with my precious daughter yesterday, and she is in her uh, halfway through her eighth month of pregnancy, and uh, it's a difficult pregnancy, and things that uh, you wouldn't want to happen are happening. And she was talking to me about her fears and how impossible her life was going to be and how she couldn't possibly do it when the baby came uh, in ways that were not rational. And sadly, um, I got caught up in the tangle of the world and was talking to her about how Yes, those things are irrational. Yeah. Rather than meeting her with her fears and listening and offering love. And I was totally, you know, totally caught in it until the conversation was over. And then I went, no, mm. that wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm. I didn't realize it but I was not where I wanted to be, but I got caught up in it. Yeah, when we're, we're, we jump in the fast moving water to save someone, sometimes we drown with them a little bit, you know, get swept away a little bit. And then we just do our best to get back on shore. You know? It happens, but I can feel the, the anguish, like you wish to have met her in a different way. And if we both happen to make it back on shore, then maybe the next time I will be more aware of what might happen and what other possibilities might be the best. That, I can that would be great if it worked that way. It would, and it does sometimes. And that's fantastic. That, no, seriously. I mean, next time it's maybe it's shorter. Maybe you don't get caught as much. That's why we're why we do this, isn't it? Yes. To help us stay awake. And I, but mainly, just as you wanted to make sure you met her difficulties, I'm also wanting to make sure that you hear me say, I know what the kind of I use the word anguish when we so, suddenly realize I missed someone I love so deeply. Well, and without this practice, I really wouldn't have known another way. Yeah, right. You have that reflective awareness. Yeah, I was blind to it. Yeah. 
but your larger self isn't, and now you're avowing that. Thank you, Joan. Can you hear me? Yes. Ah, okay. Thank you. Hi, Flint. We figured it out. Thank you, Maria. Maria, I got tips from Maria and Jessica. So there you have the beginning of your talk, um, Flint, where we're offering to each other. And it was a wonderful reminder to me because I'm not always sitting with that idea. And um, it was a beautiful reminder, but both ways, as Laurie said, both the offering and the re receptivity part. Um, every day is a good day. Um, I recently um, had three doctor's appointments in Manhattan and they all went like one, two, three. It would, and I, you know, I'm driving home and this was a good day. And I questioned it because I realized I was, well, what, why is a day that where things go wrong or go right and wrong or whatever, you know, it's what I'm getting at is you get attached or I do, you know, when things do go well, then, then that becomes the standard that we're looking for and then creates more disappointment, et cetera. So there was skepticism. And I think, you know, probably the practice has helped me step back and say, oh, let me take a look at, oh, it's so great. Like Joan said, um, she, Joan wouldn't have known what she knew without the practice, and you wouldn't have even stopped to have that reflection without the practice. Exactly. I just would have wanted more. Yeah. Um, and the third one is, um, I, and this has to do with, um, I think, the companionship and and giving and receiving, and and also our narratives. Really quickly, um, I was on Facebook yesterday and noticed an old happy birthday to me. And what I realized is that people, when they get those, when I see them getting them, they thank the people. And I just, I don't, oh, you know, and um, I have two friends who have made really nice things for me. And this was all between yesterday and today. And I don't make anything besides food. I, I don't, and I am good at these things. So I told a friend five years ago that I would, her cat died, I would do a painting of her cat. I started to draw it today because I figured, yeah, I'm realizing that I was too angry with my history. Yeah. I just start the drawing. So, you can see that that loosens up life for you. That's where the life is. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you figured out your audio. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, Trudy. Mm -hmm. I understand you've had a lot of bad days. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it, you know, I'm so grateful for practice for having that bigger container of, you know, yeah, it's pretty shit. And, um, oh, and look at the lovely leaves. <laughs> right. So that's, that's really good. But 
I just, it was just something that happened yesterday morning. I went to um, sit with the Sheffield group because um, sadly, uh, one of our lovely Sanger members died really unexpectedly. And as I'd been getting the news, I was running a Hakomi group and I was actually literally reading that poem about if you knew, if you knew this was the last time as the calls were coming in. And um, there was something that just, that juxtaposition just felt so strong. And then, um, and so I read it at the, at the Sangha. Um, but then I was, I went to a, a birthday party for one-year-olds I, I i don't think they should be allowed to happen <laughs> <laughs> Who's that anyway the madness the madness of a toddler group birthday party and um and at one point we were sitting under one of those parachute things doing it and we were singing um, row 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 your boat gently down the stream Mm -hmm. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. And there was just it, the just catching. And I know you sometimes use that image of us rowing into the center of the lake. Um, and and it was just so strong to have if you knew and then merrily, merrily, merrily. So it's a, a good day as we row towards our death. <laughs> well, it's um, it's what we have. There's not another one. Exactly, it's what we um, have. As we're we're at the end of our time, um, so in order to end, how about if you read? Ah, that'll be our completion. What if you knew? What if you knew you'd be the last to touch someone? If you were taking tickets, for example, at the theatre, tearing them, giving back the ragged stubs, you might take care to touch that palm, brush your fingertip along life, the lifeline's crease. When a man pulls his wheeled suitcase too slowly through the airport, when the car in front of me doesn't signal, when the clerk at the pharmacy won't say thank you, I don't remember they're going to die. I don't remember. A friend told me she'd been with her aunt. They'd just had lunch and the waiter, a young gay man with plum black eyes, joked as he served the coffee, kissed her aunt's powdered cheek when they left. They walked half a block and her aunt dropped dead on the sidewalk. How close does the dragon's spume have to come? How wide does the crack in heaven have to split? What would people look like? What would people look like if we could see them as they are, soaked in honey, stung and swollen, reckless, pinned against time?
Thank you, everyone, and thank you for that reading at the end. And now you'll have some time to be together, I believe, and the breakout rooms, and please, uh, people are longing for companions. Jessica. Apamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity and your support makes such a huge difference. Thank you. There's a link for contributions on the website and I'll place it in the chat as well. Um, you can um, contribute to programs and to teachers um, and to Apamata in general. So please do indicate uh, what your contribution goes for. And Thank you very much. Um, I will now hand it over to Maria.